This is the Truth News with Rain and Hunt. Special breaking news with the President. Operation Warp Speed Press Conference. COVID-19. Update. Slash 
and the most rapid economic recovery of any major Western nation. We went down less and we went up more, which is quite a combination of facts. While healthy Americans have gone back to work and to school, we continue to spare no expense to protect the elderly and the vulnerable. According to some estimates, a national lockdown costs $50 million a day and hundreds of thousands of jobs every single day. Ideally, we won't go to a lockdown. I will not go. This administration will not be going to a lockdown. Hopefully, the, the, uh, whatever happens in the J&J is Johnson & Johnson.
stages, and four of them are in phase three trials. And of the four that are in phase three trials, two have effectively completed enrollment in the phase three trial, and one of the two has announced on Monday to, I think, bring uh, information that 90% efficacy, that was the Pfizer vaccine, demonstrating that vaccination is possible against Sorry, if you hear um, plates banging in the background, my mom's doing dishes. is 
potentially uh, uh, reaching approval within the next few weeks. And finally, AstraZeneca just uh, in the last few days has received a green light to start two large phase three trials with their uh, monoclonal antibodies supported by Operation Warp Speed to uh, prevent uh, the acquisition of COVID-19 disease in very frail subjects or in very high risk subjects as a protective uh, alternative to a vaccine. So, potentially two vaccines and two therapeutics may be granted an emergency use authorization before the end of this year. I think it's a remarkable achievement within a period of six to seven months. It is important to note that this progress has been achieved without any political interference. I said it many times. And at every step has been and is being judged by independent expert bodies, whether it's when the FDA grants the green light to go into clinical trials, or whether when the data safety monitoring boards review the safety of the studies on an ongoing basis and sometimes put them on hold, as I'm, I'm sure you have witnessed with the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, for instance. And uh, these same data safety monitoring boards are the independent boards of experts that analyze the efficacy of the vaccines and the safety of the vaccines and tell the companies whether uh, they should progress with the filing of an emergency use authorization uh, or not. So it's not the companies, it's not Operation Warp Speed, it's not the US government, it is independent experts that assess the safety and the efficacy of the vaccines that are being tested. And when the FDA will review these vaccines and these therapeutics, they will also have the advice, public advice, from boards, one of them is called the VERP Act, that uh, is the advisory board to the FDA for vaccine reviews, uh, uh, on, uh, after review of the, of, the, of the data, transparently and available to everybody to look into, before the FDA then make its decision to either authorize a vaccine or not authorize it. On that basis, I personally feel very comfortable to say that the vaccines and the therapeutics that we have helped develop and accelerate will be judged independently and if approved, should be used by all in the population. Because I believe vaccination is likely to be the cornerstone among all the other measures that we have to take to help us really control this pandemic. I will now pass to my co-leader, Denal Perna, who will tell you more about the support that And you have been listening to President Trump and healthcare officials provide an update on Operation Warp Speed. That is the federal government's program to accelerate the production of a coronavirus vaccine. To keep watching, you can go to WYFF4.com and also our WYFF News 4 Facebook page. Now today, the president praised Pfizer's announcement this week that it, the, its vaccine appears to protect 9 in 10 people from getting COVID-19. The president says they are working to issue an emergency use authorization and says it will hopefully be approved very quickly. And the president says the vaccine will be free. Officials say that potentially two vaccines will be given emergency use authorization by the end of this year. We will, of course, have much more ahead throughout our newscast and coming up tonight on NBC Nightly News. Well, changes go into effect at 5 o'clock this evening. For people with pre-existing conditions, people who are elderly, 
Um, so it's, it's important to get that, that sort of participation so these trials move along faster. And, and Sanjay, um, outgoing President Trump also said um, that his administration is going to prioritize the elderly uh, and high-risk individuals when they begin to distribute uh, the vaccine. Um, is that standard? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, what, what we've heard, it was a little different than what we've heard, which is that the, the, the healthcare workers are also going to be prioritized. Think of it like this. Um, they're, they're at risk, obviously, because they take care of COVID patients. But, you know, when you talk about some of these hospital systems now around the country, what makes them particularly vulnerable or overwhelmed is if you suddenly get a lot of healthcare workers who get sick and they're out. And then all of a sudden that makes it more challenging to take care of patients. So healthcare workers very much at the top of the list as well to basically create a, a, a greater likelihood that hospital systems can stay stable and that you're not losing human sort of capital resources uh, within these hospital systems. But yes, elderly people, people with pre-existing conditions. And I was just writing down the math here, you know, some 20 million people, he says, maybe by the end of the year, this is Mansa Slui, and then uh, 25 million a month or so, at 25 to 30 million a month or so in terms of people who could be vaccinated after that. And we know the Pfizer vaccine, I believe it's two doses and it needs to be uh, kept in below um, freezing temperatures. Do we know about the other vaccine? Is it is it AstraZeneca? I, I forget, I forget yes. the name of the pharmaceutical company. But the, uh, AstraZeneca. What, do we know anything about that one uh, in terms of how many doses and, and the how, how difficult it will be to distribute and uh, inoculate people? Yeah, it's, it's pretty similar sort of um, what we call these cold storage challenges. Not quite as cold as Pfizer, but I think the way to look at it uh, as someone explained it to me, is do the conventional distribution routes of cold storage for refrigeration, will they work or not for this product? For example, Johnson & Johnson, which is further down the line, they have, they're trialing a one-shot uh, normal cold storage vaccine. If that were to get authorized and approved, uh, that'd be much easier to, to distribute around the world in the United States because existing distribution channels using that sort of cold storage exist. For Moderna, for Pfizer, these are going to be brand new sort of, um, you know, challenges for cold storage because it's never been done before. And by the way, Pfizer is sort of, they're, they're, they're not using the Operation Warp Speed typical distribution channel. They decided to sort of go this on their own, that part of it. Moderna, my understanding is. Dr. Sanjay Gupta and Jake Tapper speaking. made a point to say this administration will not go into lockdown, but who knows what will happen in the future. This is the closest he has publicly gotten to recognizing that Joe Biden is the president-elect and will be taking office in January 20th. Not there yet. I'm not giving him any credit uh, for, you know, being within the realm of the solar system uh, instead of on planet Earth, but it was the closest thing we've heard. It is. It was a really telling slip of the tongue because it's clear that this is... Within a couple months, uh... Basically, it will be allowed and out to people who need it. Other than that, basically stay strong, don't get sick, wash your hands, and uh, go to a doctor if you if need be. Guys, that's basically what he's saying and more.
This is the truth news with Rain and Hunt. Special breaking news with the president in Operation Warp Speed press conference. COVID 19. Update.
J&J is Johnson & Johnson. 
Sorry if you, if, sorry if you hear um, plates banging in the background. My mom's doing dishes. Thank you. 
independent expert bodies, whether it's when the FDA grants the green light to go into clinical trials, or whether when the data safety monitoring boards review the safety of the studies on an ongoing basis and sometimes put them on hold, as I'm, I'm sure you have witnessed with the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, for instance. And uh, these same data safety monitoring boards are the independent boards of experts that analyze the efficacy of the vaccines and the safety of the vaccines and tell the companies whether uh, they should progress with the filing of an emergency use authorization uh, or not. So it's not the companies, it's not Operation Warp Speed, it's not the US government. It is independent experts that assess the safety and the efficacy of the vaccines that are being tested. And when the FDA will review these vaccines and these therapeutics, they will also have the advice, public advice, from boards. One of them is called the Verb Act, and is the advisory board to the FDA for vaccine reviews. Uh, uh, on after review of the of the of the data transparently and available to everybody to look into before the FDA then make its decision to either authorize the vaccine or not authorize it. On that basis, I personally feel very comfortable to say that the vaccines and the therapeutics that we have helped develop and accelerate will be judged independently and if approved should be used by all in the population. Because I believe vaccination is likely to be the cornerstone among all the other measures that we have to take to help us really control this pandemic. I will now pass to my co-leader, Denal Perna, who will tell you more about And you have been listening to President Trump and healthcare officials provide an update on Operation Warp Speed. That is the federal government's program to accelerate the production of a coronavirus vaccine. To keep watching, you can go to WYFMWAR.com and also our WYFM News on Facebook page. Now today, the president praised Pfizer's announcement this week that it, the, its vaccine appears to protect 9 in 10 people from getting COVID-19. The president says they are working to issue an emergency use authorization and says it will hopefully be approved very quickly. And the president says the vaccine will be free. Officials say that potentially two vaccines will be given emergency use authorization by the end of this year. We'll, of course, have much more ahead throughout our newscast and coming up tonight on NBC Nightly News. Well, changes go into effect at 5 o'clock this evening. For people with pre-existing conditions, people who are elderly. Um, so it is important to get that, that sort of participation so these trials will not last. And, and Sanjay, uh, not the President Trump also said um, that his administration is going to prioritize the elderly uh, and high-risk individuals when they begin to distribute uh, the vaccine. Um, it, is that standard? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, what, what we've done and what the other people in the world have done is that healthcare workers are also going to be prioritized and given that like this, um, they're, they're at risk, obviously, because they may have complications. But, you know, when you talk about some of these hospital systems now around the country, what makes them particularly vulnerable or overwhelmed is if you suddenly get a lot of healthcare workers who get sick and they're out. And all of a sudden that makes it more challenging to take care of patients. So healthcare workers very much at the top of the list as well to basically create a, a, a greater likelihood that hospital systems can stay stable, that you're not losing human sort of capital resources uh, within these hospital systems. 
yes, elderly people, people with pre-existing conditions. When I was just writing down a map here, you know, some 20 million people, he says, maybe by the end of the year, this is Mansa Slui, and then uh, 25 million a month or so, uh, 25 to 30 million a month or so in terms of people who could be vaccinated after that. And we know the Pfizer vaccine, I believe, is two doses, and it needs to be uh, kept in below um, freezing temperatures. Do we know about the other vaccine? Is it, is it AstraZeneca? I, I forget the name. Yes. AstraZeneca. Do we know anything about that one uh, in terms of how many doses and, and the, how, how difficult it will be to distribute and uh, inoculate people? Yeah, it's, it's pretty similar, sort of uh, what we call these cold storage challenges, not quite as cold as Pfizer. But I think the way to look at it, uh, as someone explained it to me, is do the intentional distribution routes and cold storage and refrigeration, will they work or not? Because while, for example, Johnson & Johnson, which is further down the line, they have, they're trialing a one-shot normal cold storage vaccine. If that were to get authorized and approved, uh, that'd be much easier to, to distribute around the world in the United States because existing distribution channels using that sort of cold storage exist. For Moderna, for Pfizer, these, these are really brand new sort of um, you know, challenges for cold storage because it's never been done before. Other Pfizer sold it, but they're not used to the operation. They're used to the typical distribution channel. They decided to sort of do this on their own at home. And Moderna lines in this. Dr. Sunday Gupton, Jake Tapper speaking. This administration will not go on lockdown, uh, but who knows what will happen in the future. This is the closest he has publicly gotten to recognizing that Joe Biden is the president-elect and will be taking office in January 20th. Not there yet. I'm not giving him any credit uh, for you know being within the realm of the solar system uh, instead of on planet Earth, but it was the closest thing to Earth. Within a couple months, uh, basically, it will be allowed and out to people who need it. Other than that, basically stay strong, don't get sick, wash your hands, and, uh, Go to a doctor if you if need be, guys. That's basically what he's saying, and more. There's a scene in special report television show about Joe Biden. If you guys want to watch it, it's on CNN Channel 202 on DirecTV. If you're a Democrat, you may like it. And if you're a Republican, you may like it. It doesn't matter. What you're into. 
it's just something to watch, and that's why I'm bringing it to you. Uh, this has been the Truth News. This is an inside look on the the uh, newest forty sixth president of the United States. January 20th, 2020, or 21, he will become our 46th sitting president in the White House. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Raynan Hunt, and this is the Truth News with Raynan Hunt. Have a good night, um, have a good evening, and I'll see you guys tomorrow with another podcast. Sixty minutes only on the East Coast. Ready, set, break. Or postpone their plans to hold in-person classes. The delays and ever-changing schedules have been frustrating to parents and students, but also worrisome to educators who told us at the start of the school year, hundreds of thousands of students did not enroll. They're not logging in. Where did we, we go? Where did they go? To find out, we went to Tampa. Or where did they go? One of the state's largest school districts, Hillsborough County, saw an unprecedented drop in enrollment. What do you hear from teachers? Are they saying to you, we're missing kids? He should have been in my class. Where is he? He's not showing up. Do you hear that? Well, in the here in Hillsborough County, we're missing 7,000 students. 7,000 kids didn't come back. 7,000. How does mm, that 7,000 number that compare hurts. to previous years? We've never had that happen. Laura Tucker is one of 235 social workers at the Hillsborough County School District. At the beginning of this school year, their job wasn't just checking in on kids. It was finding... All COVID-19. All COVID-19. question mark News. next to their name. Where do you begin? Well, every student attended some school last year, all 7,000 of them. So we start there. You know, what about their emergency contacts? You know, maybe grandma, grandpa is on the emergency card and grandma and grandpa can tell you where they are. You know, we find kids because another one went to a birthday party and they saw them. And so, yeah, they're still in Tampa. Okay. You know, we're energized to keep looking for that student. This is detective work. Right. And I think that being willing to talk to friends and neighbors is also helpful. The clues take her to public housing. Hello, Pumpkin. And suburban cul-de-sacs. Laura Tucker has also gone with sheriff's deputies to check on reports of families staying in this encampment in the woods. This past week, she found a seventh grade boy living here with his mother. I'll try anything to find students who need to be in school, but this is uncharted ground. We've never had to look this hard 
um, for kids. Kids gone missing during COVID-19 season. Not good. Unless they're homeless. I'm not sure what... It is. I've worked out of uh, the I'm not, SUV for I'm not, a while now. Yeah. I'm not yeah, sure what it is, but it is not day. good, yes, folks. Gonna, she read us the list of the students she was going to try to find that day. Well, we have Joshua, who is um, six years old. We have Mackenzie, who is seven. Seventeen children who, for some reason, had not come back to school this year. We have Ryan, who is seven. Stuart is... Six. They're, they're young. Little, yes. Yeah. yeah. A lot of little ones. Florida state law requires parents to enroll their child in school at age six or notify the school district about an alternate homeschooling plan. Right now, students who are enrolled in Hillsborough County can attend brick and mortar school or join class virtually. The students Laura Tucker was looking for hadn't done either. They were marked as missing. I guess somebody could say, well, it's probably paperwork. I don't know if it's paperwork. I think a portion of them moved away. Mm -hmm. I think a portion of them are doing their own thing. They're homeschooling, and they just haven't notified our homeschool office that that's what they've decided to do. Then some of them just aren't doing school. And you can you get away do not want to be a truant. And that's really scary. Kid. Keeping track of how many kids nationwide are not in school I was warned because, of the pandemic. because so I hated school. Data from of the but because of COVID-19, every time I went to school, there wasn't COVID-19, so I had no excuse. I, make, I made excuses not to go to school. And the American Federation of Teachers Told us I was sick most of the time, though, and uh, I just didn't want to end up going to school. And, the internet for online learning. and so I can, uh, I can relate. School administrator Rosalind Brown went with Tucker to go see her. Hi, Kiera. Kiera was a good student who wasn't logging in and suddenly started failing classes when school went virtual. Um, but with this new technology, I think it's going to be a lot easier. <laughs> they found her 30 minutes outside of Tampa. It's so good to see you. It is really good. I miss you guys. I miss going to school. Kira was here caring for her grandmother during the pandemic. We have your number. Do we have mom's number, or does mom have a work number? She was on the phone. Today, we made sure that she knows, that we know, that she's coming back to school. Her plan is to do well. Her plan is not to disappear. All right, Kiera, I'll be in touch. All right, bye. A few months ago, Kiera moved again to this motel. Her mother agreed to let her speak to us. Okay. Kiera's story helped us understand how so many students have gone missing during the COVID crisis. How many times do you think you've moved? Um, I moved a lot around Tampa, so I'd say maybe about eight, nine times. Kira told us her family has bounced between motels and relatives' couches since she was in elementary school. Her stepfather lost his job at the beginning of the pandemic. Who lives here? Uh, me, my sister, my mom, my stepdad. All in one, all in one room. What was it like in the spring when you couldn't go to school? 
not having that teacher to really talk to was kind of difficult. And just really not having a laptop at the time was difficult doing it on my phone, which is such a small screen. You were doing your e-learning or virtual learning on a phone? On my phone, yes. How was that? It was very difficult because my phone is really skinny. At the time, I didn't have glasses, so I'd have to like slide to the left and slide to the right and slide up. So it was just really iffy. And she wow. said working in the crowded motel room was almost impossible. So you sometimes escape so that you can study, right? Definitely. I definitely come right. outside. I would sit here and study. But sometimes, you know, the mosquitoes are coming. You know, it's hard. Or she would walk a mile to this park. You were coming out to places like this to get some peace and quiet, but you, then you don't have Wi-Fi, you don't have an outlet. Definitely. It was very difficult, but I try to make it work as best as I could. Is it easier for a kid to slip through the cracks right now because of the pandemic? Yes. Yeah. Prior to the pandemic, if you were driving down the road and you saw a school-aged child hanging out, riding their skateboard, a social worker such as myself might stop and, and say... Why aren't you in school today? Today we'll see children on the sidewalk and they may be in school. They may be doing online learning. They may be homeschooled. There certainly are some truancy issues out there, but it's not like it was before. Other children who should be in school aren't so easy to see. Good morning, Joshua. You doing all right this morning? Laura Tucker found six-year-old Joshua living with his grandmother. His legal guardian. Yeah, he's really tall. Joshua's aunt agreed to come out to talk to us. So what was going on with Joshua? He was supposed to be in kindergarten this year? Yeah. My mother was having a hard time um, supporting them through e-learning. And due to the COVID, like, we didn't want to send him back out because he's still so young. Great. Do yes. you have any questions for me? Uh, Laura Tucker offered to get Joshua enrolled in virtual learning and promised a teacher would call to work out a plan. The concern there is it's not that he's losing a couple weeks. He could have lost a year. He could have absolutely lost a year. And my fear would be he would enter in first grade. He would then struggle. And then by yes. third grade, when he's taking those high stakes tests, he may not be able to progress in order to pass. So I have enough if we can get him back year. in school, get him back on track, we can avoid all Every time that. I go to school. We're not the big bad social workers. We're the good, healthy social mm. workers. School districts we spoke to said they saw their largest decrease in enrollment in pre-K and kindergarten. But it's too early to know how the disruption caused by COVID will impact student learning. Florida's biggest industry, tourism and hospitality, was pummeled by the COVID crisis, and low-wage workers were hit the hardest. This fall, Tucker has found many families in hotels I'm like this sure. because shelters are full. I am trying to see if a young lady is still staying at this hotel. Laura Tucker was looking for an 11th grader named Shamika. This was her last known address. No, that do you know how long ago she checked out? Yeah. Tucker just missed her. She expects this job to get even tougher as more children become displaced by the pandemic. Hoping to find a family that was living here at one time. A federal order that stops the eviction of tenants who would become homeless expires at the end of the year. Right now, we've got a country that's about to witness evictions like they've never witnessed before 
And I compare it a lot to what we experience in hurricanes here in Florida. No one expects a hurricane to blow their house over. But when it does, the school district and other agencies swoop in to try and solve problems. Okay, sounds great. Around the country, school districts have mobilized. In Loudoun County, Virginia, we saw them looking for 400 students, canvassing laundromats and thrift shops. Every principal is looking. Every assistant principal is looking. All the social workers are looking. The teachers are looking. Kiera told us she's glad they looked for her. Three months after we first met her, she was back in school and on track to be the first woman in her family to graduate from high school. She wants to go on to junior college. In the best situation, COVID is hard going, you know, school virtually is hard and you've had a tough situation. What kept you going? Honestly, thinking about my future and knowing that I'm right there, there'd be no point in giving up the three and a half years I've done for something so small or like the few months that I've been super hard with COVID. How many classmates do you think that are really still struggling? I'd say there's about maybe like four or five kids that I, in my class that I've never heard from or not in class or in brick and mortar, you know? My teacher would be like, I haven't heard from them. Are they still in school or what are they doing, you know? So it's just like, wow, I feel bad, you know? He hasn't started school yet, and I'm just wondering what's happening. We ended our day with Hillsborough County social worker Laura Tucker. Okay, well, thank you. Looking for a fourth grader named Antoine. Antoine, that apartment is oh. in this pink building. Okay. I need the last door. Hey, get guys, give me a minute. I think I found him. It turned out no one was home, so she left a card on the door. Since our visit last month, Tucker and her colleagues have found all but about 700 of the missing 7,000 kids. They are still searching. You feel like you've got a good lead here. This might be the place. Absolutely. I think we've got enough evidence that this is where the young man lives. There's a little boy living in that apartment, not going to school, according to the neighbors. So whether he's my Antoine or some Antoine, we're going to get a student in school. So it's a good day. <laughs> the impact many kids don't want to go to school low some of education that could ripple throughout their lifetimes at 60 minutes overtime.com sponsored by Prevnar 13 think Nasco world backwards D L R O W three they were an active group a B17 gunner in World War II a fellow World War II vet who drove a convertible. A 95-year-old speed walker. Ballroom dancers. I asked them, aren't you going to ask us any questions about our sex life? And they said, no. <laughs> and sadly, some who had begun to struggle with dementia. What is today's date? Today's date? Mm -hmm. What's the oldest person you have seen? I have seen several 116-year-olds. Neurologist Claudia Kawas, the 90-plus studies lead investigator, says studying the oldest old is increasingly important. Yes. Half of all children born today in the United States and Europe is going to reach their 103rd or 4th birthday. Half? Yes. Half the children born today are going to live to 100? No, that ain't true. You know, I don't feel a day older than I was yesterday. <laughs> they invited a 
us back six years later, and we found some study participants, like Helen Weil, the ballroom dancer, thriving. Then I do like so ten times. Now There's 99, people. Helen showed us how she exercises in her chair. <laughs> how you doing, Jeff? Wow. Let's see what's going on, Lou. Lou Toronto, the world's two amazing. turned a hundred in August. Lou was using Zoom. When he was a kid, most homes didn't have a radio. Do you have an iPhone? I have an iPhone. Yeah. Are you on Facebook? Uh, yes. Do you use Siri? Yeah, I tell mm. her <laughs> Wake me up at six thirty tomorrow morning. And she does. Yes. Wow. <laughs> President is Trump. Who was the president before Trump? Uh, Obama. Because of COVID-19, a 90-plus study is Great. doing cognitive tests by phone. To subtract 7 from 100, Lou and Helen ace them. And keep subtracting 7. 93, 86, 79. Your memory is better than mine. <laughs> But one of our favorite 90-plusers from six years ago, Ruthie Stahl, is not so lucky. Back then, at <laughs> she was zipping around in her lime green bug. I am no, flying all over remember. the place. But today, at 102, she didn't remember our having met. So what is your first name? Leslie. That's a nice name. Thank you. <laughs> Ruthie is as charming and upbeat as ever, but her memory is failing. The current president or the president before him. I'll take either. Mm. No, I can't. Do you remember your parents? No. No. That's funny. I don't remember them. Is it frustrating when you can't remember? No. No. It just passes on to something else. <laughs> Dr. Kawas says most people, wow. probably even most doctors, would assume Ruthie's memory problems stem from Alzheimer's disease. But scientists are finding out more and more about the complexities of what causes dementia. You hear people say, she got Alzheimer's. There's a lot of people Alzheimer's. with dementia. really should say dementia. That's exactly right. Dementia is a loss of thinking abilities that affects your memory, your language. It's a syndrome. It's a syndrome kind of like headache is a syndrome. You can have a headache because you've got a brain tumor, or you can have one because you drank too much. And it's the same with dementia. We were sad to learn that some of the 90-plus participants we met in 2014 have passed away. But by donating their brains, as Ted Rosenbaum did, they are very much still part of the study, contributing some of its most fascinating and confounding results. After a participant dies, the 90-plus team gathers to review mounds of data. Now, because of COVID, they gather on Zoom. Video stream visit two. So tell me what you're going to do when you go home today. Ted's test results showed years of memory problems as we had seen six years ago. The 90-plus team concluded that Ted probably had Alzheimer's disease, but then awaited results from their collaborators, a team of pathologists at Stanford University 
who independently examined Ted's brain. They don't know anything except the brain they've got in front of them. And then you come together. And then we come together and it's like a reveal party. The definition of Alzheimer's disease is having the proteins amyloid and tau, often called plaques and tangles, in the brain. Okay, the home stretch. But when the Stanford team made their report, Ted's brain didn't have either. As you may see without even zooming in, the section is clear, it's clean. We're negative for beta amyloid here. It actually looks awfully good. It actually does, yes. You sit around, you look at that, what do you conclude? The only pathology we found in his head, actually, was TDP-43. TDP-43, a breakthrough. It's a newly identified cause of dementia, a protein originally found in ALS patients that KWAS now believes accounts for up to one in five cases of dementia in people yeah. over 90. Can you find out if you have TDP-43 while you're alive? Not yet. And you can't find out if you have two other dementia-causing conditions Just like CTE. Tiny strokes called micro-infarcts that damage brain tissue and hippocampal sclerosis, a shrinking and scarring of part of the brain. So it's likely that many people in their 90s who are diagnosed with Alzheimer's... What year? Oh may actually have something else. There's a whole lot of stuff that goes on in the brain that we have no way of diagnosing during life. So we get a lot of those surprises. But we also get surprises where people have an awful lot of pathology in their brain, a lot of Alzheimer's disease, a lot of TDP disease, and they still turn out to be normal. Let me hold a chair for you. That's what happened with Henry Tornell, Helen Wilde's ballroom dancing partner, who joked about studying sex over 90. Henry died at 100 of cancer, mentally sharp as ever. We should all be so lucky. But his brain told a different story. It's beta amyloid. I don't even have to zoom in. Florid. Very positive. Uh, positive as well. The Stanford team found the highest level of plaques and tangles and TDP-43. TDP-43. Especially stunning, since more than one pathology typically means more severe dementia. So he was a huge surprise. He was one of our surprising 90-year-olds who managed to have good cognition in the face of things in their brain that should cause dementia. It used to be that when a person like Henry, with clear thinking, was found to have plaques and tangles, scientists assumed dementia was just a matter of time. But now they're thinking about it in a new way, that maybe certain people have protection against dementia, a phenomenon they're calling resilience. To prove it, though, they need to follow people who are still alive. Enter convertible driving Sid Shiro from our story in 2014. Let's see. Sid had a PET scan back then for the study, which revealed significant amounts of amyloid in his brain. The question was, would dementia be around the corner, or might Sid somehow be resilient? Sid turned 99 this summer. How old do you feel? I always say 69. Sid has circulation problems that affect his breathing. 60. But his memory? 
Well, he told us about buying his first car 80 years ago for $18 in a pool hall. A wow. 31 Chevy convertible with a rumble seat. A rumble seat. And I didn't know how to drive. You won it in a pool hall. Did you win it on I a bet? I didn't win it. I bought no, it. You bought I it. I gave him $18. Who sold a car for $18? He needed the money to shoot Paul. So I know he's got at least two pathologies in his head. I know wow. he's got, you know, probably high amounts of Alzheimer's, and I know he's got some vascular disease. And we tested him just a couple weeks ago. And Good morning. He did great. Please tell me how many Makos in a dollar? 20. How many quarters in six? 27. Wow, you are quick. So is that resilience? I think that is definitely resilience. That might be what resilience is all about. Could it be a gene? It absolutely could be. Or maybe even more likely, multiple genes or combinations of genes. Here's my observation. Okay. You knew more six years ago than you do now. <laughs> there are just so many questions that we don't know the answers to. More questions. That is really a brilliant observation. And what science is all about. For every new answer, two new questions. For every new discovery, like TDP, this is true. dementia, and especially resilience, new mysteries to solve. So like its participants, the 90-plus study is keeping at it, trying to help the rest of us make it to age 102 with Ruthie's spirit, but memory intact. It's a shame. It's a shame. Because there's a lot I could remember. And I'll bet you had a wonderful life. Oh, I have. It's still going on. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Such a sweet thing. Old folks are nice. Sports HQ is presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm James Brown with the scores from the NFL today. Deshaun Watson dominates in the dub over the Patriots. Pittsburgh remains perfect after crushing the Jags. The Lions get shut out for the first time since 09. The Saints D terrorizes Matt Ryan to secure the W. Alex Smith gets.